Welcome to the Hardscaping and Pool Building Marketing Show, the ultimate guide for success in the outdoor living industry. If you're passionate about hardscaping, pool building, and growing your business, you're in the right place. Before we dive into today's episode, make sure to hit that follow button so you never miss our expert insights and strategies. And if you find our content valuable, don't forget to give us a thumbs up or leave a review. Now, let's jump into the latest tips to elevate your game. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. In today's episode, we have Cameron with Kennedy Design and Build. Cam, how are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing excellent, sir. Thank you. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy, busy day. I know, like we were just talking, you guys had some brain. So did we, trying to catch up on everything. Do you want to give us a little bit of introduction about you, yourself, your business? Yeah, sure. Um, like he said, I'm Cameron Kennedy. Um, I own Kennedy Design Build. Um, I started the company in uh, 2019, and we do outdoor living spaces. Um, so we do, you know, the 3D design, um, full backyard projects, and um, mostly pools, decks, and patios. Um, we're based out of, uh, so we have Valley Area in Philadelphia, or close to Philadelphia. It's kind of between New York and uh, Philly uh, here in Pennsylvania. And um, yeah, happy to be on. No, I appreciate it, man. I think you're, you know, not giving yourself enough credit. I've seen your guys work and it is some amazing projects. If you don't mind me asking, what's your kind of average uh, project, like price, uh, price wise, and then like the scope of it usually? Yeah. So it, it really ranges from, um, it seems like our minimum project is, has kind of worked its way up to like that 60 to 80 K range. Um, and it's been the whole way up to 800,000. So we're, we're pushing that million mark. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, the goal eventually to, to hit the, you know, the seven figure mark. But, um, our typical backyard project is in like the one to 200,000 range. Um, and I think that's kind of our sweet spot. Did you just say $800,000 for one single backyard project? Yeah. I mean, it's, it involved a lot, you know, it's a lot, a lot of, a lot of stuff. So, um, yeah, that, that would, you know, that's like a swimming pool, massive pool house. Um, it's basically like a, you know, a guest house, um, composite deck, outdoor kitchen, landscaping, koi pond, lighting, um, the list just kind of goes on and on. So that's crazy man i'll get back to that project here in a second but can you tell us a little bit how you kind of started because you you said you started in 2019 so it has not been yeah. that long have you been in the industry before or can you talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely um i started right in high school um doing hardscaping so that's kind of all i know um worked for that company uh, for about four years and then uh, moved to this area and worked for another company doing more sales and design, um, project management. But yeah, the, the outdoor living kind of hardscaping thing is pretty much all I know. Um, done it since I was a teenager. And actually, when I was a teenager, like between school hours, um, did framing and, and construction and carpentry. So kind of was cool to find a way to incorporate the carpentry and and framing into you know the landscaping side of it too. No, that's amazing, man. So you've always kind of wanted to work with your hands. You enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I it's. Got uh, I got it, you. And have you always liked to, to create things, you know? And then when I got into the design side of it, that was really 
cool to kind of take the my artistic side and and be able to do the designing and uh and and not just the building part of it no absolutely man and have you always had that idea of the entrepreneurship aspect like have, has it always been your goal to start a company or did that kind of just fall into plans that kind of just that kind of just fell fell into place um i kind of hit a point where i realized that um in order to really do what i wanted to do the fullest i needed to be my own boss and to create my own thing create my own brand and um you know i i had networked with a lot of small business owners and was kind of leery of it um but i think that was just you know like the experiences that you hear about from other people don't necessarily have to be your experiences you can kind of create your own path and um in hindsight you know i i realized that those kind of fears were you know of course it's a struggle it's always going to be that you know you're going to have your ups and downs but the reward is is definitely worth the the work and the risk so no absolutely man and can you tell us a little bit how you started the business kind of was it just hardscaping did you go right into pools or how did that work out so our our very first project um was a, a patio uh, a pavilion and a, a small outdoor kitchen uh, with some landscaping um, and i i kind of got lucky on that one it was like a, a referral from a family member um that was almost two hours away from my house which was you know not optimal at all but yeah it was uh, it was a decent sized project and that was the very first job that we did and um Obviously, like after that, not every project right in the beginning was, you know, like our our target uh, client or perfect project, but started out doing some smaller patios, some smaller decks, even did like some fencing work, um, you know, and that was right in the when COVID was hitting. So things were very like, you know, uncertain, but um, pretty quickly, um, I think we did our full, first pool project. Um, that first summer that I was in business and uh, worked with a pool company, they did the pool, we did everything around it and was able to kind of build off of that, you know, build a portfolio. And uh, and now we're rocking and rolling with concrete pools uh, pretty regularly, so. Congratulations, man. That's a quick come up for sure in five years. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we're, we've been blessed to really work with some some great clients and uh, and have the the luxury of kind of cherry picking um, who we work with and the kind of projects that we do at this point, which is nice. So you just mentioned in regards to cherry picking projects and et cetera. Why did you go down the route of doing less but bigger and cherry picking rather than going like a mass amount of projects? If you understand what I'm going for. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get that. It's it's kind of like quality over quantity. Um, and I think it's a lot of it's just the headache, you know, if you if you do if you do 30 projects in a year um, that are smaller, that's 30 different clients, you know, 30 permits to pull, 30 different different designs to do, 30 different material selection meetings. Um, and you know, that requires a lot more employees, resources. Um, if you, if you take that down and kind of minimalize that, even though you're going to have higher ticket projects, um, they're going to require resources as well, but it's just a lot less on the back end that you have going on, um, in order to implement those, those bigger projects. 
Absolutely, man. And what does your team look like now? So we are right now we have three guys um, in the field. Um, so that number has fluctuated quite a bit. Um, and that's something that has been kind of a pain point. We're still working on building, um, building our, our crews up. So we we're probably about 60%, 60 to 75% in-house, um, employees and the rest is subcontractors. So we've, we've been leaning heavily on subcontractors for the, the type of work that our guys aren't good at. Um, so like swimming pools, some of the carpentry stuff, framing, um, trying to sub that out more just to, to move things along. The projects move so much faster when we're using subcontractors who are, you know, that's what they do every day. So they're good at it, you know? So our guys don't need to be focused on, you know, doing the things that aren't really in their, in their wheelhouse. No, exactly, man. And what does, what does your team look like from a management perspective also? Are you kind of involved in the operations? Do you have GMs or? No, I would, yeah, I'm pretty much in the, in a project manager role myself. So I'm doing project management and designing and sales. Um, and then we have a foreman who's really good. He's a senior foreman, um, who's completely self-sufficient. Um, so he's running the day-to-day -day, day -day operations and, um, he, the goal is to move him into a project manager position so that he's, you know, dealing with subcontractors and suppliers, you know, having material orders, you know, ready and, and delivered to the job site. So I'm not doing quite as much of that, of that, but the the goal is to to have a second crew up and running and then eventually a designer um or project manager to oversee those crews so i'm not doing quite as much absolutely man and what does in your position like you said you're wearing multiple hats of course right now but you guys are doing very high-end projects what does your day-to-day -day looks like so yeah, a typical day uh, for me would be, I come into the office um, about an hour before the guys, I try to get some paperwork done, um, just kind of go over everything, um, have tasks lined up for our, we use a remote admin service. So the admin um, girl, when she hops on at nine o'clock, she has kind of knows what she needs to do, um, kind of plan out the day and then Usually a lot of times I'll go to the job site first thing in the morning with the guys and we'll kind of do like a daily rundown. Um, if it's, you know, if it, if, if the day's task warrants that, and then, uh, usually I'm, you know, running around, going to suppliers, maybe picking up materials, dropping some things off, um, meeting with clients. I try to do my client meetings, um, in the afternoon and not at night as much anymore. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a lot of just kind of hopping back and forth. Like today I was between two different job sites because um, we have two active sites going on right now. So um, yeah, just trying to make sure everything's running smoothly. Exactly, man. And you said you have currently two active job sites. Is that kind of the norm or do you usually have more than that? Yeah, usually we have about two going on because um, we have subcontractors working on one and our guys are at another. So just, you know, like today was making sure that the subs had what they needed where they were working so that they, you know, didn't have anything stopping them. Um, cause it's all, you know, that one thing after another, you know, something has to happen before they can do their thing. And, um, so yeah, it's, um, 
it works out pretty well, you know, to have our guys do their thing and then the subs come in and um, and then the other project that we're working on, like we're we're digging the pool tomorrow and we have a pool sub doing that. So it's going to be our guys working on top of them. Um, so it's it's going to be a lot, but you you know the drill. It, it's a it's a circus, but we love it. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean, man. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. And you just mentioned something very interesting in regards to a remote admin service. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Can you kind of elaborate on that? How that works? What exactly entices them, etc. Yeah. So ever since I, I started the business, I've been big on outsourcing as much as I could. Um, like from the very beginning, like I never learned QuickBooks. I, I hired a bookkeeper from day one. Um, so we, and they're actually our CFO now. So we have a CFO, we have the admin and the admin's doing things like job costing, um, entering receipts, um, some bookkeeping, answering the phone, returning emails. Um, a lot of just kind of initially putting together like SOPs and systems, getting everything organized. Uh, that's we've been working on that this winter to really try to have everything in one spot. So that's been helpful. Um, but yeah, they're they're out as they're based in in the U.S. but in a different state, and uh, they have their kind of their block of hours that they're they're ours, and we can have them do whatever we need them to do. And um, it's it's been working out pretty well so far. Absolutely. And you just mentioned you focus since the very beginning on outsourcing. Is there a specific reason for that? Like, have you previously seen that work better than in-housing or what's the situation there? Yeah, I just I just think that if somebody's, you know, if, if there's someone in, in my organization that's not well suited to do something rather than trying to learn that and become good at that, um, especially for somebody like myself, I know that my time is best used, you know, selling projects, designing projects and, you know, kind of promoting our brand and, and being where I need to be in the field. Um, so I have no business, you know, learning, learning QuickBooks and accounting and doing all that stuff. Um, it might save a little money, but I think in the long term, it's better to to have someone that, you know, that's their specialty, you know, have them do that, take it off my plate as much as possible. And on that topic, just to kind of finish it out, if you were to restart or recommend to a newer business owner, what would be the first, you know, two or three positions that you would outsource? Um, yeah, I think definitely like bookkeeping and and uh you know like bookkeeping and, and admin i would say um you know once you hit that million mark i think it's you you need to have an admin of some sort um just to make sure that things aren't slipping through the cracks um because that was a big thing for us like it's you know especially in the busy season there's no way that you can get back to everybody when when your phone starts ringing off the hook um so we were we were losing a lot of potential, you know, really good potential projects. <clears throat> I got but you. I think, I think bookkeeping was, you know, just to make sure that everything was on the, the up and up. That was a big one for me. I got you. And in regards to you kind of elaborate throughout the process that you really focus your day-to-day -day currently what you're best at, which is designing and sales. What does yeah. your sales process look like? So our sales process, um, 
so most of our most of our leads come in through our website. So we get a lead contact form from the website. Um, we have certain criteria, like so the the ad my assistant would contact them if it's below a certain dollar amount. If it's above a certain dollar amount, I do the initial phone call. So we did a discovery call where we're kind of trying to provide value and explain our design process. And the purpose of that first call is to sell the design. Basically, we're we're not going out meeting with clients unless you know they're ready to buy that design and and pay for our design process. <clears throat> and then we would schedule a, a consultation. We go out to the the client's property. We meet with them. Um, go over you know materials, the layout of the project, their wish list. Um, we do flex site data, like take elevations and measurements and all that good stuff. Then we do the 3D design. And then we'll have a second meeting where we come back and get together with them. We review the design. And I do a preliminary budget summary instead of a formal proposal at the first meeting. So they kind of see a la carte, rough ballpark, what they're looking at for the project, um, you know, by work area. So they can kind of see the cost allocation um, for each work area of the project and then an anticipated total. So sometimes that helps to steer the design. Um, you know, if that number, you know, even though you might talk numbers a little bit at the initial design consultation, when they see something on paper, then sometimes the design will start to kind of morph into something different based on the budget. And then that way we're not doing multiple revisions on a contract um, that they haven't even signed yet. So that's been helpful to kind of, uh, you know, eliminate some of that legwork on the front end before a customer is ready to buy. They can kind of see what that project looks like number-wise, and then we can adjust the design and, and go from there. Do you have them sign before like all of the detailed selections for materials down to the penny? Hey there, if you're enjoying this episode, we'd love to hear from you. Your views on Apple Podcasts help us reach more like-minded professionals and continue delivering valuable content. Take a moment to share your thoughts and experiences by leaving us a review. Your feedback is incredibly important to us, and it only takes a minute. Simply head over to Apple Podcasts, search for our show, and let us know what you think. Your support means the world to us, and we can't wait to read your reviews. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, so at once they approve the preliminary budget summary and the design, and they basically give us a verbal go-ahead, then that's when we're writing up their contract that they would sign. Um, and then we do material selection, uh, permitting, engineering, and all that stuff. I got so, you. And you mentioned, so right now at least, you guys don't do anything without a paid design, correct? Right. I'm assuming it's a paid design, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm assuming, you know, when you started back in 2019, you did not do that initially. Is that right? I did. I did charge for designs, but I didn't charge for every project um, if it didn't need a design. Because when it's starting out, you know, it's like you take on the work that you can get. So say, say someone wanted a, you know, like a land clearing project, um, in a wooden fence, which was a project that we did in the very beginning. Um, there's no need for a design for a project like that. So we we did some work without a design, but if if it was like a patio project or an outdoor living space, um, I was charging for designs from the very beginning. 
I got you. And can you talk a little bit about the sale process of the design itself? From my understanding is you do the wholesale of the design over the phone. Is that correct? Yeah. So I just kind of explain our design process. Um, and I, and I explain that it's, you know, you're, you're not just paying for a 3d rendering and you're not just paying for an estimate. Um, it's that whole kind of process of making sure that we're providing, you know, what they're looking for and, and not just from a, you know, wish list standpoint, but we're going to design something that fits their budget, fits their property, is feasible, it's buildable. And, and usually people can kind of understand the value in that. <clears throat> um, but that's basically that initial phone call is, is explaining to them the design. And then sometimes there'll be a correspondence back and forth via email uh, with site photos and things like that so that we can really dial in the, the design price before they decide to move forward. And the design price varies from project to project. Is that correct? Right. So we have it in a we we tier the design uh, fee schedule. So it ranges from about a thousand dollars to around four to five thousand. Um, is kind of our average, um, and that doesn't in, it include engineering because most of our projects require engineering and a survey, which is closer to like six to eight thousand. Um, but we still require that conceptual three D design. So that we can see, you know, how the layout looks with furniture and how it correlates to their, you know, existing architecture of their house and things like that. I got you. Awesome. I appreciate all the details on that. That definitely helps out kind of visualize it. And especially uh, in regards to like the design sale process, how would, yeah. you, how would you recommend anyone that's trying to go from doing free renderings to the paid designs? What kind of helped you do that? Are you building a building value over the phone? Do you have like a maybe a portfolio of designs they see online or? Yeah, it's um, and we don't really even have our designs online too much. I think a lot of it is just helping the client understand that you're gonna you're gonna walk them through that process to achieve what they're looking for. And I think if even someone starting out, if they have the confidence. Um, that you know they'll that they're able to to provide the client with what they need and what they want, um, and even if you're not a great designer, you know you can you can outsource your design you know to a to a rendering service or something like that or a, or someone who does landscape design. Um, if you have the vision, you know, and you and you understand the project that you're going to build, um, you know you you don't have to be a great designer in in SketchUp or or Lumion or one of these like you know 3D rendering programs um because that's something that can be outsourced too you know as long as you understand the fundamentals um somebody can do that for you and you can transfer the cost of that to the client and still make a little bit and uh and I think it's it's important to explain to the client that it's it's not just because you want to charge for a design Every, all parties involved need to have that understanding that um, we're all on the same page. This is what it's going to look like. And, and that way there's no, there's no gaps or misunderstandings along the way. Absolutely, man. Very well said. And what does your lead flow right now look like? You do a lot of different, you know, higher end projects. Are you getting them primarily from word of mouth and recommendations, referrals, or are you doing like paid ads, organic? Uh, we It's kind of a mixed bag. Um, a lot of referrals now, um, starting out, it was mostly all Google ads. 
So I started with Google ads from the very, from the very start and honestly didn't turn them off for three years. Um, even when we had a full pipeline, um, just to kind of maintain that market presence, but we've done, I've done some Instagram and Facebook ads in the, in the past, which I know you're, you're doing, um, I've seen some of your content, which by the way, is great. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. But I think having, we do some print, um, we do some print magazine ads that we've got some really amazing projects from, um, which is interesting because, you know, like we get the younger demographic from social media and you get the closer to retirement age from, um, from the print ads. So I think it's important to have a well-rounded um, kind of marketing approach so that you're, you're able to have eyes on your, on your product from, you know, anybody from their late twenties to, you know, sixties and seventies, you know. Do you have an idea of like, for example, in 2023, last year, how many projects slash leads came from which um, route? I would have to put, yeah, we ha I have that all tracked. Um, I would have to look that up though. Offhand, I would say um, probably about, I would say it would be split roughly in thirds. So about a third from referrals, a third from Google ads, and a third from uh, print marketing. I got you. And also on that topic, how many, just to get an idea, how many projects, if you don't mind sharing, did you guys were able to complete like last year, for example? Last year, I think we did um, about 12 projects. So you only did 12 projects in 12 months. Yeah. Yeah. It's, some of them, I would say our average project is about, is about four weeks. Um, and then we, you know, it seems like every year now we we're throwing these ones in that are taking, you know, like six to 10 months. So we're able to do those, you know, concurrently with, with our smaller projects, but yeah, some of these, some of these bigger projects are taking, uh, yeah, it's the, the big job, the big full job that we did last year. I think we were there from July, July to May. Um, and we weren't working continuously because we had, there was, you know, waiting on materials, we're waiting on some subcontractors, um, but that one took almost a year to complete. And just confirming, that's the eight hundred thousand dollar job. No, that one was that one was more like a half a mil. I got you. And how do you manage that? Like, do you have a certain kind of calendar that you share with the homeowner? Are you just kind of texting them updates or? Yeah, just just mostly text and email updates. Um, we don't have anything that's like automated or or anything like that. It's it's pretty personable. Um, <clears throat> I know there are some some software platforms out there that uh, you know do really well at, at updating the customer and sending updates and things like that. Um, so that's that's something that we're we're looking into. But for now, I think having that kind of personal touch to where myself you know i i know the project better than anybody so um if it's me or if i you know if we have a project manager in the future just just staying staying in constant communication with them and letting them know what's going on absolutely and with projects like this of course you have like you mentioned you have permitting you have engineering design tons of planning that goes on the back end how far are you guys usually booked out 
Uh, it's usually about eight months. Um, I think right now we're booked into September, October. Um, so yeah, it's, I would say the average wait time on a project is anywhere from, yeah, it could be around eight months is probably average. Do you see this as an advantage of your business or rather a disadvantage? I don't, I don't know. It's tough because it, it's kind of stressful. Um, just knowing that, you know, there's, for the most part, our clients are great. They understand. I set those expectations very early, you know, at the, at the very first meeting. Um, so if, if I'm meeting with someone right now and I'm telling them, you know, our project is looking like September, um, you know, and in our design process usually takes one to two months anyway. So by the time they, they're actually, you know, on our schedule, they kind of have an understanding, okay, the schedule was September back when we met. We're probably looking at, you know, mid-fall. Um, so it is nice to have that kind of reassurance to know that we have a lot of work on the calendar. Um, but there is also that that kind of, there is a downside to, to having to maintain communication and over, you know, a period of eight months, and then you go from that design and consultation and, and your primary contact with the customer and then almost a year later, you know, it's like, okay, we're here. Um, let's actually do this thing, you know? <laughs> so. Absolutely. And do you share that kind of upfront with them very straightforward when the new lead comes in? Or do you have it displayed on your website somewhere? No, usually on the first phone call, we'll talk about timeline. That's one of the, that's one of the things that I bring up. We talk about budget. We talk about timeline. Uh, we talk about permitting and engineering and feasibility. Um, we talk about their design preference and obviously scope of work, but um, we've had several people call us up and say, you know, we we're, we have a deadline for, you know, a, a graduation party in the spring. And I say, it's it's just not happening. And so it's, it's usually, you know, that they're okay with waiting. You know, a lot of these clients are looking at you know, even like spring of 2025, you know, and they're, they're starting to plan now. So that's amazing, man. That's awesome. Congratulations on the success. Obviously, you know, you've developed the name in the area by the sound of it and people are willing to wait. So. Yeah. I, I, I feel like we have, um, we have established somewhat of a brand, which is, was one of my goals in the very beginning. Um, so I, you know, I'm just looking to kind of build on that and expand on that and maybe, um, even look at different locations that are, you know, a little farther away and, and see what we can do to expand our footprint. When you say locations further away, are you trying to, as in like franchise the business or do projects? Further um, not really franchise, but, um, definitely, I'm definitely interested in, in looking closer towards, uh, Philadelphia. There's some really just cool areas and, and neat kind of pockets around Philadelphia um, that we've done a good amount of design work. And I think with the the network of subcontractors that we've built, we could be really effective in, in doing some cool projects that are kind of too far away for us to travel from our shop, but we could still design and, and have them installed by our subcontractor network, um, even though they're you know an hour and a half or two hours away. So you said you've done some design work. 
there, but you just don't take the don't take the projects on there further than the next. Yeah, month. they would just be like design only projects, which we we kind of stopped doing just because we didn't have the resources to uh, you know to design the projects that we were going to be building and do the design only work. But that is kind of the the direction that I would like to go more with doing, you know, with continuing to do the design only work and then being able to sub that out to to our guys that you know are in that area so that we can have a bigger a bigger footprint. In regards to subcontractors, this is more of like a personal question also, because we mm -hmm. for my physical business in Charlotte, we use primarily subs. We use all subs actually. We yeah. sub everything out. But how are you able to find the quality subcontractors to complete the work in such high end projects? It's it's not easy and it's not something that we've like, you know, I'm not gonna say like, oh, we we figured it out, we cracked the code. It's um it's just it's always a struggle. It's I just look at it like I look at my master list of subcontractors as like my baby, and I just I'm gonna continue to keep trying to grow that. Um, but it's yeah, it's tough, you know. You gotta keep them happy and you gotta just keep looking for guys and uh yeah, it's it's not easy. I completely understand. It's always it's like a revolving door at times, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's like that with, with subs and and W2 employees sometimes too. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's probably our greatest pain point is just finding the the help and you know production actually getting the getting the work in the ground. Um because it's yeah, it's tough. As you mentioned, you're kind of prioritizing, you know, subcontractors, but at the same time, you're keeping a good in-house crew. You're trying to keep the best as possible, guys. How do you go about finding the skilled labor for, again, such high-end work? Because this isn't, you know, just a six-by-six, six-by-nine patio makes slapped on the ground. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I've, I've done a lot of training. Um, you know, I try to hire for character and not skill so much. Um, so, you know, uh, with more so with, you know, just general labor and, and team members. Um, and it's been, you know, I, I told you the amount of time that I did interviewing this year, it's, it was crazy. Um, but yeah, I think just, just finding people that are, that are smart, that are nice people, you know, nice people to be around that want to work outside. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't, I tend not to hire the guys that say oh, I've been hardscaping for 20 years because it's just usually not a great fit. So, Hard to teach old dog new tricks. Yeah. Yeah. And with, you know, with all the tools and technology that's out today, it's like they they are they are intricate and complicated projects, but you know, like say laying pavers, you know, it's not it's not super difficult. Um, you know, most guys can pick it up fairly quickly. So I think, like I said, I think the biggest thing is just having guys that are hungry, you know, hard workers and uh, that want to learn and, and showing them how to do it. Exactly. On the booked out part, so you mentioned you're booked out into September, nine months, eight months, give or take. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably, um, and some of that depends on if we, if we do have an in-house crew up and running, um, a second, sorry, second in-house crew up and running, um, that would cut back to, 
probably closer to, to August, but with the project, with one crew, the projects that we have on the books now are probably in October. I got you. And of course, you know, that hasn't always been the case when you started your business. Um, what do you credit that primarily to this amount of, you know, work coming in? Um, I think just like a, an aggressive marketing strategy. Um, cause even when we're, when we're booked out, I'm still continuing to, to market. Um, even if we're turning a lot of projects down, um, you know, that's how you get those, those big projects, the unicorn projects as I call them, uh, you know, so if you're continuing to market, even with a full, a full schedule, um, you know, you'll, you'll get those projects that are like, you know, your ideal, ideal client, ideal project. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think just having that kind of always having, getting eyes on your, on your business, uh, from multiple viewpoints. And when you started getting that amount of backlog, why did you, you know, prioritize? I feel like it would be a split if I asked another person, like whenever they start getting backlogs, I feel like the first idea that comes to mind, oh, let me hire a bunch of guys and get as much done now as soon as possible, rather than letting it build up. Why did you right. decide to go that direction? I think, I think just more so on not wanting to get sloppy. Um, so I want to still maintain that quality of work. And like I said, that, that is, that is the goal to, to grow the company and hire more people to do more work. Um, but I think it just needs to be done carefully so that you're not just sending a bunch of guys out to do a bunch of work. Um, cause it's not going to be the same quality of work, you know, as if we were running, you know, on a more on a more uh, centralized and kind of, you know, I guess you, you need the management in place to do that. You know, you no. gotta have you got really good guys that are there that have that know quality control, that know the, the trade that are crafted and skilled people um, or else the, the quality of work is just gonna go, it's just gonna plummet, you know. Completely agree with that. And you mentioned throughout our conversation here a few different times, a few different times your goals. What are, you know, for Kennedy Design and Build, what are you guys, let's say five year goals? Because where if you're doing eight hundred thousand dollar projects, what where do you go from here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think just um, like I said, kind of expanding to some different markets um and growing our network of subcontractors so that we can that we can do more, we can do more projects and get into some some more kind of the the modern um, contemporary projects. We we do I would say our our work is kind of geared more towards those modern um, you know like the modern pool projects, but even kind of pushing those boundaries and kind of being known as you know that the contractor designer in our area that does you know ultra sleek, you know, sunken fire pits, like super awesome, like cool projects. Um, so I think that's kind of where I could see us in, in five years and, and just kind of developing the team so that operations are running, you know, like a well-oiled machine without me needing, needing to be hands-on as much um, so that I can focus on some other things. Cause I have some, some other business, you know, aspirations uh 
you know, out there that kind of need, need to wait until I have the business really running, you know, on its own with. It's with, good uh, that you're understanding. It's good that you're understanding it because a lot of people, even myself included at times, you know, you're building multiple bridges and they're all just 30% complete, 20% complete. Instead of you're focused on one thing, you're in, you're dialed in and you go all the way. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. And I like to ask people kind of a few different questions at the end of the podcast, always talking about some, you know, very important things. What would you say was the best piece of advice that's ever been given to you during your time in business? Um, I, I think it might come back to the, uh, to the kind of finding, finding the right people for the right position. So if it's like I said, if it's not something that I'm great at, if it's if that's not what I should be doing, um, find somebody to do it. You know, um, I heard, I think uh, Josh Gillow says uh, it's not about how, it's about who. You know, so finding somebody, finding somebody to to do a task that you know that they're apt to, um, instead of just struggling through trying to trying to do it all yourself, trying to figure it out, trying to learn something new that you don't want to learn anyway. You know, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Find somebody to do it for you. And if you were to restart your business to go five years back, but take all the knowledge that you have right now, is there is there anything you would do differently or kind of what would be the main, you know, one, two things that you would do differently in your business? I think I would focus more on company culture and, and, and building a team sooner. Um, the first in the in the beginning, it was very you know I was fine with just like me and a helper, you know. Um, and I think I would focus more on building building a team and and getting that company culture dialed in um, from the beginning. Absolutely. And now that you've been in business for you know a, a good amount of time, you've done good projects and etc. In regards to building a team, what do you think are the most important, you know, pieces of the puzzle to start off with? Is it like the foreman, the designer, the helper? Yeah, I think having a good foreman um, is is huge. It's it's very difficult to find guys that are, like I said, that that know how to do the work um, and that are good at it. But yeah, I think just. Um, you know, finding out what, what people want to do. Um, you know, I've had, I've had guys that, that start and they, they think they want to do outdoor living because they've done hardscaping. And then it's like, they, they discover that they don't actually like all the different pieces, you know? So I think kind of trying to figure that out on the front, on the front end, um, and making sure that they're, that they're kind of, you know, prone to, to the whole outdoor living thing is, is huge. I completely agree with you, man. Cam, as we come here to kind of the end of the podcast, first of all, I appreciate you hopping on. I appreciate you giving me, you know, your very important time. As I yeah, understand, absolutely. there's tremendous projects you're doing out there. And <laughs> it's crazy, man, just hearing your story and, you know, where you come in five years. That's a very short period of time because people dream of doing the type of work you're doing. And you know, 15, 20 years of business. And I appreciate it. Thank you. That's yeah. 
I've seen your work, man. And like, you guys speak quality and I respect that a lot because, you know, nowadays, unfortunately, the, um, in my opinion, at least the entrance bar to our industry has been lowered tremendously in regards yeah. to who is able to build patios, build shitty work and et cetera. But it's good yeah, to see that you're prioritizing quality. Hey, you, you blew up too, man. I know, I remember when we, we first talked to out in Michigan, I don't even know when that was like maybe 2021. Uh, we were talking about getting into pools and stuff and you just blew up, man. You guys I, are killing down there. I can tell you we're not doing projects your size for sure, but it's a, uh, you know, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Oh, you're, you're doing it. You're doing it. How, no, many, how many pools do you do a year? On average, I would say last year, for example, we completed 13. So, and we try to stay around that. Like you were saying, you try to do, you know, higher ticket items. Like we try to do pool, everything around it. We did a few projects where it was just the pool and they had a different company come and do the patio, but I'm not yeah. against it. You know what I mean? Like if they want to do that, that's absolutely cool by me. Yeah. But last year we had kind of, we transitioned big time in regards to, we went from in-housing everything to full subs. It wasn't full subs. Like now it's full subs for majority of the year. It was, I kept my PM, I kept one crew, but I went down from four. Yeah. And it definitely opened my eyes to a lot of things in regards to like the capabilities of why everybody subs. So I definitely right. kind of changed my outlook and view on everything. I will say that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to talk more on that. I'd, I'd like to pick your brain on that. So absolutely. man. anytime you got my, you got my contact info. And speaking of that, um, first, where can people find you? If somebody wants to, you know, talk to you, get some advice, ask more questions. What's the easiest way to reach you? Uh, probably Instagram DM. Yeah. Kennedy design build on uh, Instagram and just shoot me a DM always on there. So perfect. Probably and two months. <laughs> Perfect. And do you have any kind of final words, whether it's advice to new people getting into the industry or anything like that you want to say to the listeners? Yeah. I mean, just, uh, you know, if, if these like guys starting out, um, you know, feel free to reach out with questions. I'm always glad to, uh, you know, to chop it up with, with new guys just getting into the industry. I think it's cool. Um, and just, education is huge man like invest in yourself you know go to the seminars go to the you know the self-help you know mindset type stuff that you know you got to believe in yourself and uh and it, the internet's a great place you can learn a lot so if you if you believe in yourself and uh and you have the knowledge and the education then you can do whatever so Perfect. I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate everybody listening and tuning in onto the Hardscaping and Pool Building Show. And we'll see you guys on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Hardscaping and Pool Building Marketing Show. If you enjoyed today's discussion and want more actionable insights to boost your business, make sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you're always in the loop. Your support means the world to us. And if you haven't already, take a moment to like share, or leave a review to help us continue delivering valuable content to you and fellow industry enthusiasts. Until next time, keep building your business with a purpose.